Dark. Communion. Narrated by a border prince. For over 10,000 years have I lived, intoned the Chaos Warrior. For over a hundred centuries have I fought the long war. 88 million hours cannot contain my hatred. For over a day now, the Space Hulk, Reaper of Souls, had held its orbit over the doomed planet. Brother Captain Carlson stood at the world, visible through the huge art of the stained glass window. It glittered like a jewel in the blackness of space. Its greenness mocked him. Down there, people went about their daily business. They lived their lives, secure in the knowledge that their emperor and his mighty legions protected them. Carson laughed his hollow laugh. It bubbled horribly from his ruined throat. Today, that ended. Their stupid, ordered lives were over. They were insects dwelling in an insect's nest. They lived insect lives and never understood the true nature of the universe, a place of predators who preyed on body and soul. The fold down there was sheep. Let the sheep look up, thought Carson. Let them know the wolves are about to descend on the fold. Let them pray to their senile god and know that he cannot save them. Their world will burn, he swore. They will pray for death. Their weapons will not save them. Their armies will not protect them. Their pitiful faith will not shield them. They will die, and their souls will be consigned screaming to the warp. This, I swear by the honour of my chapter, and all the powers of chaos. But for now, let them wait, for I must celebrate the Dark Communion. He looked down at the throne in which he rested. The ancient brass was moulded in the shape of a mythical beast of old earth. Life support tubes connected it to the rebreathers of his ancient armour. The ten-thousand-year-old runes flickered and glowed in the chill darkness, sending out messages that only a few now living could read and fully understand. Carlson studied the walls of this ancient chamber with his baleful red glare, noting, as if for the first time, the gargoyles that guarded each doorway and the sign of the Eye of Horus that enclosed the stained-glass window. He noticed the cracked and flaking tiles that covered the ceramite floor, and recalled that once they had contained a mosaic depicting the attack on the Empress Palace during the long-ago battle for Earth. The picture was long gone, worn away by a million footfalls down the long centuries. Carson lashed the metal tentacles that replaced his left hand and reflexively worked the action of the bolter fused to the stump of his right wrist. There were times he felt like this space hulk, like a strange agglomeration of random bits, hastily and crudely connected to an ancient central core. He knew the space hulk was a jumble of the flotsam and jetsam of interstellar space that had been sucked through the warp to the demon worlds, had drifted for centuries, till it had integrated into this vast vessel. Whatever shape the Hulk had originally possessed was long gone. He was like that. A millennia of mutation, 
of gifts from his patron chaos power had cost him his original shape. No longer was he a tall, powerful space marine garbed in ceramite armour. Now he was an inhuman thing, a patchwork of many strange pieces. Only the original body shape and the mind were still Carson's, and sometimes he was not sure even of that. Could any mind remain intact after ten thousand years? Would it not splinter under the impact of all that accumulated experience? Would not the years bring madness? Instinctively, Carson knew that he had gone mad many times. There had been centuries when he had gibbered insanely, years when he had reiterated a single crazed chant. He knew that he had lost so much. No mind could hold all his memories. They overflowed like wine from an overfilled cup. It was part of the gift and the curse of his immortality. That was why, when they could, he and his men celebrated the Dark Communion. They preserved what was important. They stayed themselves and did not devolve into howling chaos spawn. In the end, when all was said and done, they were space marines. They had a space marine's pride. Carson cleared his mind, as he had learned so long ago. He turned his gaze inward. He needed no drugs, no chance, none of the aids and adjuncts that lesser sorcerers used. He had ten millennia of practice, and his powers were strong. He envisaged a vast cavern, the walls of which were lined with pigeonholes. In each pigeonhole was a glowing gem. Each glowing gem was a memory, one that he had chosen to preserve. It would remain in this protected space within his mind for as long as he would live. Carlson had achieved the first level of the ritual. Now he reviewed last year, winnowing his memories for deeds he wished to preserve. Was there anything worth keeping, worth preserving from time's slow erosion? That battle on Cadavar, perhaps, where they had aided those pitiful rebels against their imperial masters, and where he had killed the Blood Angel in the desecrated rubble of the Shrine of the Emperor's Ascension. Yes, he thought, recalling the moment with satisfaction. That was worth preserving. He visualised the scene clearly. The Blood Angel crawling from the ruins, his armour all pitted and cracked. Nearby lay the huge skull of a destroyed warhound titan. In the distance loomed the skeletal remains of Cadavar's sky-scraped towers. He had the moment perfectly. He could taste the dry, burned taint in the air, feel the kick of his bolter, hear the groans of the wounded, smell the stink of molten metal, sense the departure of the Blood Angel's soul. He fixed the memory, reduced it to something hard and bright and pure, then left it in its assigned place. There was nothing else he wanted to preserve. Now came the next stage. He examined his memories. Now he exulted in who he was and how he came to be. He reached for the gems of memory, and they came to him, one by one. He was on Prospero, homeworld of his order. From the balcony of his tower he could see the mile-high spire where dwelled Magnus, Primarch of his order. The air of the city crackled with hundreds of potent enchantments. His spellbook floated in front of him. He knew that Magnus had been right to defy the Emperor's interdict against the study of magic. 
It was so fascinating, and they had learned so much. Soon they would use their spells to smite the Emperor's enemies, and the ruler of mankind would be forced to see the error of his ways. I was a fool then, thought Carson. We were all fools. He reached for another memory. Anger at the betrayal filled his mind. The Emperor had declared them heretics, outcasts. Their knowledge was deemed forbidden. They were to be purged. The Space Wolves had been dispatched to cleanse Prospero. They were forced to flee. In that moment, Carlson realised that the Emperor was a fool and all his followers were dupes. He was jealous of any power he did not understand. Perhaps he feared a potential rival. Whatever his reasons, it did not matter. The Thousand Sons must take their ships and accept Warmaster Horus's offer of sanctuary. It was their only chance of survival in the turbulent period of civil war. The only way to protect what they had gained. Another scene filled his mind. He aimed his bolter at the Loyalist and pulled the trigger. The man screamed and fell. Laser fire scorched the pavement all around him, but the shimmer of his protective spells warded it from his body. In the distance he could see the mountain-high silver walls that protected the Emperor's palace. Overhead, the blue sky of Earth was filled with ships. This was the final battle. Today, the fate of the galaxy would be decided. The scene melted into another memory of that awesome battle. He stood before the gleaming black valves of the ultimate gate, the towering portal that guarded the entrance to the inner palace. All around him, he sensed the press and surge of bodies. Overhead, an angel-winged man in blood-red armour wrestled with a huge bat-winged demon. With a final, mighty surge, the demon cast the man down. Carlson heard the granite crack, and his roar of triumph mingled with ten thousand other voices. He watched the earth recede behind him through the armour-glass window of the spacecraft. The taste of defeat was bitter in his mouth. The Emperor had defeated Warmaster Horus. Loyalist reinforcements approached Earth, bearing the accursed Space Wolves and the Dark Angels. They were defeated. The rebellion was over. Now they must flee to the edge of the galaxy, to the one place their foes would not dare pursue them, to the Eye of Terror. He stood amid the rubble of Prospero and watched the sky change colour. His voice mingled with the chanting of his brothers. Chain lightning crackled from horizon to horizon. Pain filled him as he forced his mind to the task. The towering presence of Magnus was there, calming him, reassuring him that what they attempted could be done, that they could indeed shift an entire world through the warp to the eye, that their ancient world could be theirs again. He raced down a long street, between low, squat buildings. Behind him he heard the whoosh of displaced air. Turning, he snapped off a shot with his bolter. The long, sleek Eldar jet bike jinked to one side, and the shot ricocheted from the walls. He looked in horror at his hand. It was starting to change. The fingers were lengthening. Already they had fused with his gauntlet, and he could not take it off. Was this the result of long-term exposure to the warping influence of chaos, within the Eye of Terror, or something else. His armour was already changing, flowing into a new style. Tiny metal skulls covered his belt. A demon's head leered from his shoulder guard. 
Fear of the change filled him. He stood in the long hall of a tumbled-down building. The roof had long collapsed, and cold stars glittered in the sky. The demon crouched in front of him, confined by the pentacle and the power of his will. It snarled, and flickers of warp flame emerged from its mouth. It did not want to share its wisdom with him, but he knew that soon it would. He wrapped his tentacle around the throats of the blue-armoured ultramarine. The man struggled and writhed in his grip, frantically trying to break his grip and bring his bolter to bear. It was a hopeless struggle. Slowly, inexorably, Carlson lifted him and with one mighty heave threw him off the top of the tower. He watched with satisfaction as the man tumbled headlong to the ground over a mile below. The fight was over. The last ultramarine on the planet was dead. The governor's palace was theirs. On and on it went. Memories flickered through his mind, reminding him of ancient triumphs and ancient deeds, of all the things he desired to remember and some of the things he would like to forget but could not. The touch of his sergeant brought him from his reveries. He looked up into Kane's twisted goat face. What is it? Ships rise from the planet, brother captain. Defenders come to meet us. Good, thought Carson. Perhaps this planet should provide us with some sport after all. There we have it. There we have it. I finally found it. For those long-term viewers, you will know that I have been looking for this story for a long time. I've described it many times about... There's a chaos champion on a ship and how he preserves his memories. It's one of my oldest memories of like a Warhammer 40k story, bit of lore, whatever. And I know it's, I'll tell you, I'll even bore you and I'll tell you where I first read this and when, right? And the circumstances behind this. Okay, this is some deep lore on me personally. And Warhammer in general, I think. And if you're of a certain age, it'll probably ring true for you as well. So this is called Dark Communion. I couldn't remember what it was called. I couldn't remember where I read it. Now, someone in the live chat recently... Um, well, I've been doing this sort of radio thing as a tester, and I'll continue to do that. Uh, if you're listening to this now, in the future, this obviously doesn't matter. If you're listening to this right now, I want to put it out within a few days. I'm going away, so I'm not going to have that left on because it'll probably burn my house down. You understand? So I'm going to have to turn it off. But when I come back uh, home, I'm going away for like a work stuff and, and various other things and um, some scouting on some future content, you know, things coming up. So, I'm, But I'm not going to leave my computer running because for one, it'll probably burn my computer out. And two, like, yeah, my house will... I know my house will burn down. It's like when you know you, you can't remember quite if you turn the cooker off. You know what I mean? And you're driving. And even now, if you're like half an hour away, you're like, I've got to go back home. I've got to go back home and check. Even when you get there. Even though when you get there, it's already turned off. Anyway, I'm just ranting. So, this is a classic for me. And one of the most important pieces of stuff, uh, like raw Warhammer stuff that I actually have in my mind. Um, I read it when I was like 11, 12. And uh, I'll tell you the circumstances of how I got this. So I think it's, is it the second edition or third edition? It's the set with the Blood Angels on the front with the, uh, where you get the, 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 the two squads of Space Marines, the old school Space Marines, you know, where they're, they're basically just attached to the gun and, um, you know, it's got the big rocket launcher and stuff. I'll put a picture up, hopefully, if I remember, on the screen and you get all the Gretchen and all the Goths and it's like on Armageddon. A great, a great set, you know. Uh, but this is like mid-90s that came out. Now, when I got into Warhammer, it was because the first time I ever saw Warhammer stuff was um, actually because a friend of mine, 
a couple of friends of mine. I went to a primary school where the people were probably like, uh, they were they were they were all very middle class, and I'm working class as hell. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like insanely working class. Not that I've come from a bad household or anything like this. You know, my family are nice and stuff like that. But like, um, I'm definitely from the lower economic rung. You know, like it, it, by all rights, uh, I shouldn't be where I am now, and uh, it's probably just by. Uh, I don't want to sound like a big head because I'm not. You get me? <laughs> it's just by um, a happy circumstance that uh, I'm, I'm probably um, brighter than I probably should be. And I've managed to do more than a, most people manages to do. Right. Like on paper, on paper, I should be on a, on a much lower socioeconomic bracket, you know, social bracket, you know, cultural bracket. I should be a lot lower. But for some reason, by chance, I ain't. Although I do, st- I, I do sound rough as fuck. But anyway, that's a whole different thing. What I mean by this is, uh, Warhammer used to be, and still is to to a large extent, a very middle class hobby for a lot of people. Um, and if you are, no fair play, you know what I mean. I'm not, I'm not like some class warrior or anything like this. But it's like you know, obviously, um, you're not getting many chavs in your games workshops. You know, it's very much middle class sort of young lads for the most part. You know, uh, geeky young lads from reasonably prosperous households because who else can afford to blow this much money on plastic toys? Now, unfortunately for me, my mum got me into a reasonable secondary uh, primary school with very, a lot of middle class people. So a lot of them started getting into Warhammer. Now, obviously, I'm quite from a bit of a poor background, so I couldn't really afford stuff. For instance, like I would get like um, my pocket money was a pound a week. You know, now I know money's changed a bit over the last like 20 years or so. Uh, but still, you can appreciate that even back then, a pound of a week wasn't worth much. When you think that, like, um, you know, a, a chomp or a, a Tazo chocolate bar, they were like 10 pence, you know. A pack of uh, football cards would have been like 50 pence. You get me? So having a pound a week, pocket money, that's it. It isn't much, is it, you know? Now, unless people gave me money, which sometimes they did, obviously, family members, or bought me things, you know, I didn't really have any other option but to save my money. Like, I even had a paper round. I worked six days a week as a paper boy for three years, and I only made £7.50. I'm going on about this way too much. But anyway, basically, what I'm saying is, I didn't have much money for stuff. So, my warmer stuff was very precious to me, because it's stuff I'd saved a lot. For. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Like, I had to really save for, um, and I felt really lucky whenever I got any kind of warmer stuff, like family members gave me a fiver, you know. And this is, again, you know, warmer stuff was cheaper back then, but it was still really expensive, you know. Comparatively, it's probably about the same now. It's probably more now than it was then, actually. But, um, you know, when I'm on £7.50 a week, paper boy money, and, you know what I mean, you don't, you're not going to, you know, I've got to do stuff as well, you know what I mean? I'm a young lad. I've got to go cinema and stuff like this, you know? Like, I had other things to spend my money on. So buying war and stuff was like a really precious big deal for me. So one day, this is what I'm leading to, one day on a Saturday, I'm at home and uh, my mum walks through the door, she's been shopping, walks through the door uh, and she's got this box set. I'm like, what the fuck? And she's like, yeah, they're in Argos. They were selling them for like... Um, like, like, about like a quarter of the normal cost. So she said, I thought I'd pick you one up because I know you'd like it. And I was like, I was overcome, you know what I mean? So instead of whatever they used to cost, like probably 60 quid or whatever, this cost like £15 or £10 or something, she said. And I don't, I've never understood why. I've never heard anyone else mention this or anything. 
but that's the only reason I've got this box set. That's the only reason I've got these books and stuff like that. Um, and managed to read all these things and got this sort of this starter set of stuff, which was great for me because it like instantly doubled the amount of Warhammer stuff I had. You know, I actually had some Warhammer stuff all of a sudden. I could actually play games, even though we weren't really playing games properly. We didn't really understand the rules. But um, that's why I got this book. Now, as I understand it, I, I imagine what it is, is GW were getting rid of a bunch of backlog stock of these starter sets because they had the new... They had the the new version of the game was coming out, came out like um, a couple of months later. Um, you know the one we've I put a picture up of that as well. The one with Dark Angels and Space Marines in it. Sorry, I've just hit the I've just hit the mic. Getting too excited. So they were trying to get rid of stock and basically they sold it to Argus. Now, if you don't know what Argus is, Argus is like um, it's less prominent now, but back in the day, about like 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was like a much bigger thing on the uh, sort of high streets. And it still is. It's the thing that they have the catalogues and that's where people would go and buy their things. It was like a big retail store, but it was one of them where you'd, you'd fill in the ticket and you'd wait in a line and they'd go into a warehouse and grab it for you and bring it out. Unless they had the stuff right there on the, uh, on the floor. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. So yeah, I think that's what it was. GW was just getting rid of a bunch of stock back in the late 90s in preparation for this new launch, which was the big launch, really, which really propelled Games Workshop into the into the big leaves, because I guess you would say, um, sort of culturally and everything. That was the one there. They, they really went professional, like went mainstream-ish, the start of their ascension to mainstream-ish, um, that edition, and, and all the sort of hype and marketing that went around that and the, the much more professional look to things this was the yeah that that was that was the addition so they were getting rid of this old stuff um and yeah that's it basically i managed to get this so i devoured these books which i'd never been able to have before i don't think i actually had other than like what maybe a white dwarf magazine again buying a white dwarf magazine was a big deal for me back then you know um because they were like three pound fifty which obviously like i'm saying that's half my wage from a from a paper boy thing Anyway, <laughs> see, if you're listening to this, you're like, wow, boomers talk a lot about how young they were. One day you'll come to this point and you'll be like, wow, back in my day, that's that, you know, 10 more years, son, 10 more years, sonny, you'll be looking back and <laughs> you'll have member berries for all your childhood stuff. But yeah, that's why, that's why this, this story is stuck in my mind. Cause it was, again, it was like the excitement of having this, these books to read through and all these new stuff, which I'd never had any of this stuff before, you know, um, you know, um, I could only ever buy what I could afford, which was like usually like an individual model or like a tiny box of soldiers. Um, I couldn't actually get like, you know, this is the, before the starter sets and all that sort of thing. Um, so actually having the, the sort of the main game, the box game was, was such a great thing for me. I'd never, I'd never had one before. So it was so exciting. So I read for all the books and, and this story really stuck with me because I thought it was so awesome. Because as well, obviously, I didn't understand anything. And back then, obviously, it was all a bit more... It was all... Less of it was written. So it was all a lot more vague about the Horus Heresy and about Prospero and all the different legions. There was a lot more mystery to things. It felt like you were being part of um, a sort of esoteric, arcane world. And because it was before the internet became big as well, like this is, you know... I didn't get the... The internet probably wasn't a major factor in my life until two or three, maybe even four years later, it became so more prevalent within sort of day-to-day life. I mean, this I didn't have a mobile phone until like probably two years after this, you know? And like an, and that was like a Nokia, which was literally just a phone with snake on it, you know? That's all it was. Um, so it's like a different age. 
And so, so the law and stuff like this, you'd go to the shops and you'd speak to people who knew more about the law than you. <sighs> Hit my mic again. <laughs> they, they knew things because they'd read a book that you could, literally couldn't get a hold of anymore. They'd read a, a handout, a, a, something that Games Workshop printed off and distributed to his shops to be given out to customers. It's just a cool little throwaway thing. They'd read the leaflet or, or whatever and uh, they knew stuff that you didn't know and there was no way of you knowing. You know, it was very much like a, very much like an, a, a, I imagine like being part of a mystery cult, you know, <laughs> people who've been in it longer knew stuff more than you, you know, <laughs> like being part of a cult. I mean, it still is, but like uh, information's a lot more accessible now. But even still, I think um, a lot of the older stuff, I sometimes take for granted that some things haven't been in production for like 20 years, you know, like for instance, this short story. Unless you specifically went looking for it in some... I mean, this isn't a war gear. This isn't even in the main law book, you know, the main sort of codex. This isn't the side book, which goes into individual weapons. And then it's got all these little short stories. And there are a couple more short stories, which are kind of classics that I will do. And you won't have this ranty bit at the end. But um, I just thought I'd give you my my memories of this. Um, it's one of the, my favourite stories. And uh, I'm glad I could share it with you. And I hope it's, it gives you some some member berries, some um, nostalgia to all you people, you know, which I think is is a good feeling to have these days. I've, I've, hopefully you've been, I don't know, I don't know, I'm going to go. Because I'm just ranting and my voice is going. But uh, yeah, yeah, and if anyone wondering, I've, I haven't smoked now for five weeks, although the urge is still there. And uh, yeah, I, I do, <laughs> I've been stuffing my, I feel worse because I've been stuffing my face to ward off the um, the urge. So I'm fatter than I should be, but I've still been going to the gym. So I'm way stronger. So I'm big, but like I'm I'm way stronger and fitter than I was. But I'm still fatter than I was. It's a weird. I'm in a weird situation. So hopefully now now most now I've weaned myself off the tobacco. I can uh, I can concentrate on just like losing losing like probably like two stone probably. It's a lot two stone worth of fat, um, and then that should like complement quite nicely with my my muscle gains. Because I feel ripped, man. I feel so powerful. I feel like literally twice as strong as I was like five weeks ago. It's crazy, man. But anyway, what is this? <laughs> what sort of a video is this? I really like this old story and I hope you do too. I'll have some more of these sort of old, 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 deep lore short stories coming soon. Um, again, just be about this ranty bit at the end. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll include that there's a rant at the end. Nostalgia rant. I'm going to go anyway. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the channel. With everything that's going on as well, uh, I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the community and everything like this. I'm, I don't really keep up with community happenings and stuff because I don't really... There's only one or two people I follow like who do sort of internet war MS stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm aware vaguely of like things that are occurring. Um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, I will continue to do what I'm doing for as long as I possibly can. But... Who knows? In the future, if something happens, it happens. So if you do want to keep up with me and my stuff, I will, even if I go, into the, if, even if in the future I don't do Warhammer stuff, I might do other stuff. Um, and I'm definitely doing Lord of the Rings stuff. And um, at the minute, I've just put a couple of like short things out for Lord of the Rings, uh, just jokey stuff, but I'll be doing some proper big lore videos on different aspects of the universe and talking about stuff and maybe even do some Middle Earth um, the game, uh, you know, the, the, the war game uh, stuff. 
So I'll include links below to that as well. So please do subscribe to me on my um, my Lord of the Rings channel, which I haven't really started using properly at all. Uh, but please do subscribe there because that's when I'm definitely going to be doing stuff. And subscribe to my my backup channel, uh, where I I'm not, at the minute I just do occasionally a bit of bit of streaming and talking about non Warhammer stuff on there. But definitely subscribe there because if anything ever happens to this channel, that's where I'd be either of those places. So I'll include links to them below. But um, yeah, everybody supporting the channel, thank you. Again, I will continue to do my stuff until I can't. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty messed up. But we'll see what happens, you know. We'll see what happens. That's kind of why I did this. Uh, it, come at, it came at a good time, this nostalgic trek down memory lane for me with the old stories, which reminded me of why I really like Warhammer, the Warhammer universe, why I've been into it for so long, for so many years. And, uh, yeah, this is a good memory to distract myself from the horrors of the present. <laughs> okay. Uh, stay well. And um, yeah, go gym, lift. Makes you, uh, makes you better. Makes you stronger. Makes you, you know, more confident in the world, I find. Um, I definitely feel better anyway. And it's been doing me no, you know, it's been doing, I've been doing well. I've been doing well. My smoking as well. I'm so glad I've stopped smoking as well, but I really do want to smoke. Look, you see, I haven't done one of these for a couple of weeks. So I forget how to sign off. I'm going to go. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again, everybody. Ta-ra.